Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumb Cast. In this, the high noon of season five, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on every goddamn page of MT2, the Weird Weird West, the second in a trio of time travel adventures for TSR's Marvel Superheroes RPG. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. The Weird Weird West was written by Ray Winninger and published in 1989 by TSR. Today we're discussing page 14 of The Weird Weird West, and today's high-concept theme is freedom and constraint. This is an artsy-fartsy episode of the podcast, um, because I don't have a, a thesis exactly, so I've opted to take the artsy road and sort of talk about some loosely connected things, and then leave you, my very sophisticated audience, to sort of finish my job so that I can leave. This is how we do high art. We're in the middle of chapter 5 entitled The Crows Are Base, a chapter that finds our heroes up on a plateau on a ridge looking down on the hastily assembled camp of the Crowsar, a rubber monster alien species from the 21st century who are up to something in the vicinity of Dodge City in 1871, but we don't yet know what. We're following two of our player character groups today, the Secret Zoomers and the Misfits, who both arrived here after running into some Crowsar scientists out running machinery, trying to figure out what's going on with this temporal disturbance out in the desert. After that encounter, our heroes found this base and have been spying on the Crowsar, trying to figure out what's up. This is a very exciting day, especially for the sneaky hero on the team, who you'll recall was mandated at the beginning of all this in World War II. The author told us we must have a sneaky hero on the team. And up to this point, all throughout the first adventure, there was basically nothing for sneaky hero to do. Now, finally, it is time for sneaky hero to shine. I mean, without being observed, by definition. But they know they're shining. However, before any sneaky heroes can get down into the Crozar camp and start looking around, we have an event to discuss. Quote, After the heroes have been looking over the camp for a while, they will notice a mysterious group of six hooded figures leave the isolated shack on the edge of the perimeter and enter the compound. The text on this page goes on to spoil who these six hooded figures are. I will not do so, but I will say this is an intriguing turn of events especially as it may happen before or after any sneaky members of the team have climbed down some trees to go walk around and investigate the camp. All our heroes may still be up on the ridge just looking. We may have one or more or all of our heroes down there, solid snaking it around corners and hiding in trees and everything, getting a close look at the crows are. But in any case, our heroes are in mid-observation when these six irresistibly mysterious hooded figures walk out of the supposedly isolated building, into the main compound of the encampment. After a bunch of background for the judge about who these folks are and what they're up to, the very next text on the page is, quote, Reaching the research shack. Seeing the six hooded figures leaving the shack on the edge of the compound might pique the hero's curiosity. The obvious method of reaching the shack without attracting too much attention is to climb up the tree on the ridge. Okay, sure, sure, sure. We know all about that. We're supposed to climb up the tree on the ridge that's not on the map and climb across the really long branch to the other tree that's not on the map. We talked about this before. The absurd leap that I'm more interested in today is that one the author just made. Let me take it again and see if you notice. Quote, seeing the six hooded figures leaving the shack on the edge of the compound might pique the hero's curiosity. The obvious method of reaching the shack, hold on, six mysterious hooded figures just walked out of a shack. They proceed presumably single file, as is the customary formation of black-robed individuals. They walk out of this building. We have no idea who they are, what they're doing here. They stand out, clearly, 
from the rank-and-file crows are, right? It's a village full of Gorn and then six black-robed wizards, essentially. And the author suggests that this may pique our curiosity about the shack. What about the hooded figures? I love hooded figures. In many role-playing games, I have played a hooded figure, and even when I am not a hooded figure, I am eager to enter a hooded figure's life. Perhaps to kill them, but maybe just to hang out. I just want to be in the mix with a hooded figure. And in this situation, an investigative scene where we're already rolling stealth, right? Finally, sneaky hero is useful. Doesn't it seem like the first obvious thing to do is to try to sneak a peek at these six hooded figures? I mean, they're wearing hoods, and presumably the author would mention if these were 360-degree wraparound hoods, you know, like like more like bags on the head. If it were like that, I think the author would have mentioned it and maybe given some clue as to how these hooded figures were navigating uh, without bumping into rubber lizard people. We have to assume these are standard hoods. And the thing about hoods, one of, one of their key functional features, I would say, is that they're open in the front so that you can see where the fuck you're going. Maybe if I could sneak in front, I could look at these six hooded figures and see who they are. I feel like that's going to be the question the player characters ask me. I think what's unlikely is that as these six hooded figures wander off ever further out of our reach, the player characters are going to be like, we just got to get into that shack. Like, we don't know much about the crows are, but we have no reason to think this shack can sprout legs and run away. Presumably it's going to be here. But there's no provision made for this, and I can't really talk about what might happen if the judge allows the player characters to pursue and investigate the hooded figures without spoiling the whole module. So we're just going to have to revisit this in the podcast time machine later. But for now, let's just say the dumbest thing on this page is the inexplicable assumption that the player characters are going to let six black hooded figures just wander out of view while they investigate a random shack. Assuming this is how the players react, what happens next? Well, as previously discussed on the show, Our heroes are supposed to jump from tree to tree, maybe two trees, maybe six trees. We're not really sure which of these things are trees. Somehow, using some tree-related method of stealthy locomotion, our heroes are supposed to get over to the research shack to take a look around. Quote, Scaling the tree on the ridge requires a typical intensity agility feat roll. Jumping from tree to tree is a good intensity agility feat. While jumping, each of the heroes must also check to see if he or she has attracted the attention of any of the aliens in the camp below. If the hero received a green result on his or her agility feat, the aliens get to make an incredible intensity intuition feat to detect the hero. Make one roll for all of the aliens. A yellow result on the agility feat raises the intensity of the aliens' feat to amazing, and a red result means the aliens have no chance of detecting the heroes at all. Of course, the heroes can spend karma on any of these rolls as they see fit. Oh, you'd love that, wouldn't you? Well, sorry, Mr. Winninger. But this time you are a victim of your own fuzzy understanding of the rules. Because in fact, whether it's an incredible intensity intuition feat, an amazing intensity intuition feat, or no chance at an intuition feat at all, the odds of the crows are noticing these heroes is basically the same, somewhere in the range of 0 to 1% chance of success. If you apply the rules that you automatically fail any task with an intensity more than one rank above your power rank, remember that all these crows are have poor intuition. So if the judge is using the impossible feat rule then the crows are have 0% chance to make even a good intensity feat, let alone an incredible or amazing one. And so regardless of whether you get a green, yellow, or red success on your stealth feat, the result is the same. The crows are have no chance to spot you. Even if the judge isn't applying that rule, on a green or yellow result, makes no difference. The crows are have a 1% chance to see you, and if you get a red result, they have a 0% chance. The bottom line is, these crows are 
can't notice shit. It's one of their big weaknesses, and it is glorious in this scene. Because here we are with, like, the secrets of the crows are, potentially the secrets of the plot, all kinds of stuff to steal, all kinds of stuff to sabotage, buildings to look through, people maybe to capture, all kinds of fun we can have in this base. And while we can't necessarily take these crows are in a fight, they just, they just can't see us. Like, they just, they just can't notice that we're there. As long as we don't completely botch a stealth roll, and if we do, of course, we can spend a little bit of karma to get it up to a green result, we've got total freedom to roam this theoretically guarded camp. Because these rubber lizards can't see shit. After all this in World War II, and after this module, up to this point, it is, oh my god, it is like, it's like I'm sinking into a warm bath full of hot choices, just replenishing me, just buoying me up. I can do whatever the fuck I want in this scene. I can go wherever I want. It's like that Sinead O'Connor song that has been totally displaced in my memory by the Me First and the Gimme Gimme's cover of the same song. Since you've been gone, Mr. Winninger, I can do whatever I want. I can see whoever I choose, except for the hooded figures who uh, the author has just decided basically not to talk about them <laughs> after they walk away, because there's no logical reason that I can't just follow them and see who they are, which would wreck everything. Also, again, this is a spoiler, but there's something else here in the base in a specific building that if I walked in and saw it would also pretty much wreck the entire plot. And there's no indication here of what the judge is supposed to do about that. It's just not mentioned. This is the dichotomy of freedom and constraint. On the one hand, this is such a refreshingly open-ended scene. I can go get the information that I want in the way that I want, sneak around this place. Imagine, it's a space that I can navigate freely. I could walk from one place on the map to another place on the map without being hijacked by a scripted encounter where somebody knocks me the fuck out with sleeping gas or whatever and drags me to like the X on the floor marking where I'm supposed to start the next scene. I could just go where I want to go, but at the same time, I'm free, but free to do what? Free to investigate the hooded figures? No. Free to look for key plot items that are just lying around in this scene, unmentioned? No. Free to investigate the contents of all these various buildings? Well, kind of, but only three of them have defined contents. One of them is the research shack. One of them is the shack with the spoiler stuff in it that presumably the judge is just supposed to say it's, you know, shift X padlocked or something, so I don't go in there. The Shift X padlock being the deadlock seal of the Time Warp Adventure series. Uh, and the other one, there's nothing really in there but events that aren't happening at the moment. You know, there's some set dressing, but not particularly anything useful to do in there. Again, unless the judge just improvises, but if the judge does that, then this whole adventure becomes very precarious. If I, like, capture the Crozar leader in this scene, or unmask the hooded figures or find this item that I'm not supposed to get until way down the road, then the whole thing is off the rails. And there's no reason I wouldn't do those things. It's just, it's kind of on the judge to tell me, like, no, like, the leader of the Crozar isn't around when you walk into the room. He happened to have stepped out to the bathroom. Uh, that item you're not supposed to find, either the room is totally inaccessible for some reason, or they must have moved it somewhere else for a little while for some reason. Uh, the hooded figures, uh, they're, they're already too far away. Well, I'll run up to them. I have monster speed. No, no, they're they're filing away single file at monster speed. You can't catch them. They're too far gone. I mean, until next scene when they're going to show right back up again. So for all the freedom that I have, I'm effectively constrained by the fact that this plot's going to fall apart if the judge allows me to achieve anything with all of my various free choices, whatever they might be. However, ironically, once again, telltale sign of high art at work. Here comes the irony. 
While all of this freedom in fact represents an invisible constraint upon my action in the scene, the one explicit constraint upon my behavior in the scene may in fact prove to be my greatest freedom. Quote, if any of the heroes blows the climbing or jumping feats, or is detected by the aliens, a group of 20 Krozar soldiers train their weapons on the heroes and demand their surrender. If the heroes refuse, the soldiers will fight to capture the intruders. And then it goes on to say there are lots of other things we might attempt. It's up to the judge to adjudicate them. But any attempt to sneak around gives the Krozar a chance to make a virtually impossible intuition roll to spot us. The intuition roll is nothing. Doesn't matter. What it boils down to is whether at some point one or more of the heroes blows a stealth roll and can't or won't spend the karma to make it a success. At that point, the Krozar notice and 20 Krozar armed with the weapons we talked about earlier, attack the heroes. The intention is that this is an overwhelming force. As we're going to see, one of the results of this scene is that the party's captured and you go from there. This is good design. I think this is why stealth is suddenly useful for one scene only. It's because we have a situation here where both succeeding and failing advance the plot in different directions. And so the author finally gets to bust out some non-combat feat rolls that mean something without being hamstrung, as he normally is, by needing the player characters to succeed to keep the plot moving forward. And this chapter, honestly, is way better than what we've seen so far, I feel, precisely because of that. There are actually stakes and meaningful choices being made. Having said a nice thing about this module, let me now offer you a cheat code to wreck it. Here's the thing. As we've already discussed, there are certain characters who are extremely resistant or immune to all or almost all of the Krozar weaponry. And the Krozar are not really that tough. Given a little bit of backup to help him deal with the Krozar who have neural stunners, maybe a stealthy Moon Knight or Vision sneaking up and clocking them in the back of the head or stealing their weapon or whatever, given that little bit of backup and a decent supply of karma to keep from falling to an unlucky roll, I think Wonder Man might be able to take every Krozar in the camp, possibly. Only the neural stunners can really affect him because his psyche is low enough that they have a meaningful chance of shutting him down. And his damage is high enough that any attack he makes is definitely taking out a Krozar soldier. He might even be able to take out two in a turn. And I don't know how the Krozar are going to react to somebody who's tearing through their ranks at that rate. I mean, they've only got 50 soldiers here. So if there's one man taking out two Krozar per turn, I mean, keeping in mind a turn is only six seconds long. If you're a military force with 50 soldiers and there's a person throwing hands in the middle of your camp, taking out those soldiers at a rate of 20 per minute, I feel like you're going to call for a, a parlay here sooner rather than later. But, you know, there are those neural stunners, even with backup. The odds are against Wonder Man being able to take out all the crows are before he himself falls unconscious. However, if you're playing this adventure with a GM who wants you to play West Coast Avengers, I have a cheat for you. Ask to play The Thing. Ben Grimm from the Fantastic Four, probably my favorite comic book character. He was a member of the West Coast Avengers. Ben Grimm is one of just a handful of superheroes who have a distinct mix of abilities, a strength of at least incredible, a psyche of at least remarkable, an endurance of at least monstrous, and a body armor of at least excellent. If you combine all those things together, what you're going to have is a character who is extremely resistant, if not outright immune, to everything the Krozar can do. I'm shooting you with it. If you're playing the thing, you should ride roughshod over just droves of Krozar. You almost could solo them. And if you've also got Wonder Man on this hypothetical West Coast Avengers team, the two of them together are going to tear through this army as though it were actually, and not just apparently, made of latex rubber. You might ask, what's the difference between this and just pulling up the hoods of the hooded figures? 
or finding the shit we're not supposed to find, or going and tracking down the Crozar leader in the camp, and very unheroically holding some kind of deadly superhero weapon to his head and telling the rest of the Crozar to stand down. All those other ways that we could throw the plot off the rails. The answer is, all of that is left to the judge's discretion. It's a total gray area, a total void of just, these are things we're not talking about because they could ruin the plot. If you look around for the hooded figures, you just don't see them, right? That freedom creates a constraint. However, this supposed constraint, these 20 crows are who are going to jump you in the highly unlikely event that they see you, they're quantified. There are 20 of them. We know what their weapons do. If we've got them outgunned, we can beat this encounter's failsafe, which is defined, is quantified, maybe take over the crows are camp. I mean, I don't know where the plot goes from there, but hell, we might take over Dodge City. I mean, stranger things have happened. Did you know that Ben Grimm was Blackbeard? Like the historical Blackbeard? Strange but true. Strange but true. No reason he couldn't also become like the bandit king of the Old West. He's not afraid to fuck up the timeline. Reed's not here. He can do what he wants. However, assuming that we don't use the Ben Grimm cheat and fuck up the whole module, here's how this scene wraps up. Quote, if the heroes tip off the aliens and are captured, proceed to chapter 7. If the heroes reach the research shack, go to chapter 6. About the two hero teams who entered this scene. The secret zoomers are good at stealth, but not uniformly so, and I think that's going to be their downfall here. They're definitely going to want to do some sneaking around. The ones who are good at stealth are going to do fine, but somebody, probably Trupa, is going to get captured, and the jig is going to be up. So I think the secret zoomers get captured here. We'll see them in chapter 7. The Misfits, though, they're far from the most dexterous of teams, but they've got a lot of diversion potential, and I think they're going to be able to successfully sneak past the Crozar, probably not even making use of these alleged trees wherever they are. They're going to get into the research shack, and so we're going to join them next time in Chapter 6 to take a look around this lonely, lonely shack on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret, patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's theme music, used under Creative Commons license, is Western Firefight 2 by Kula, whose work you can find at kula.com. That's C-U-L-L-A-H dot com. Thanks for listening.